This podcast is proudly produced and presented by the Zoomer Podcast Network, home of great podcasts like Marilyn Lightstone Reads, Idea City on the Air, and The Garden Show. You're listening to an exclusive podcast of the Zoomer Week in Review, heard every Sunday at noon on Zoomer Radio. You're listening to the Zoomer Week in Review, brought to you by CARP, a new vision of aging. Support CARP with your membership today. Visit carp.ca. Good afternoon and welcome to the Zoomer Week in Review, all things Zoomer worldwide. I'm Libby Snymer. Today on the show, we have a very special two-part interview. Alison Azar, a mother of four young children who've been abducted by her ex-husband, will join me for a one-on-one talk about what she's been through the past 11 months and how the government has not helped her get her kids back from a war zone. But first, here are your Zoomer headlines from around the world. A new report from the National Institute on Retirement Security shows that women are more likely to face poverty in retirement than men. Researchers say women are 80% more likely to be impoverished over the age of 65. The many reasons for this include the pay gap between men and women. According to the U.S. Census Bureau, over a 40-year career, it adds up to an average of more than $430,000. After a 45-year-long manhunt, the FBI says it's no longer actively investigating the unsolved mystery of hijacker D.B. Cooper. In November 1971, a man calling himself Dan Cooper hijacked a Boeing 727 and later jumped out of the back of the plane wearing a business suit and a parachute after receiving $200,000 in ransom money. Agents never found a trace of Cooper, but bundles of the cash were found in 1980. A Hamilton couple will soon be celebrating their first wedding anniversary, more than 60 years after their first meeting. June Caskey and Carlos Marquina met in a Michigan war hospital in 1952 while he was recovering from injuries suffered in the Korean War and she was visiting her uncle. The two hit it off over music. He sang, and she was and still is a pianist. After years of being pen pals, Carlos asked June to marry him and move to Germany with him. She didn't want to move that far, and Carlos married someone else on the rebound. Sixty years later, after his wife passed away, Carlos found the courage to call June out of the blue and found she had never married. Five months later, the pair were wed in a small ceremony with friends and family. Canada's king of polka found himself a lot richer after winning a home lottery in London recently. Three-time Grammy Award winner Walter Ostinek won the London Dream Home Lottery last week, opting for the $1 million in cash instead of the house. He found out about his winnings between sets at Marineland in Niagara Falls, where he works seven days a week. The 81-year-old Order of Canada recipient says it won't change him much. He'll spend the money on helping his wife, who lives in a nursing home, and the rest on his friends and family. 
I'm Libby Zneimer, and those are your Zoomer headlines from around the world. It's a living nightmare for a Canadian mother. Her children were stolen and taken to a very unstable war-torn region. That's the reality for Alison Azar, whose four children, ages 11, 9, 7, and 3, were abducted by her ex-husband and taken to northern Iraq. Alison came to us to talk about what happened and what she's doing to try to bring them back. But first, let's start at the beginning. So I was raised uh, in Alberta, and um, while attending university there, I met Sara Nazar, who was um, a very charismatic uh, Kurdish refugee um, doing a master's PhD, and we fell in love and got married, and over the course of the following 10 years, we had four beautiful kids, two, two girls and two boys. Okay. And uh, how long were you married for and what happened then? We were married uh, a little bit over 10 years. And um, increasingly, I think my ex-husband became conflicted between his Kurdish nationalism and his desire to be a part of the emerging Kurdish struggle and the fact that he had married a middle-class woman um, who really was my priority was raising our children in a safe and secure household. So things started to um, escalate, I, w- I would say, um, a conflict between us. And eventually I uh, left the home. I, f- I left with the children um, at the end of December 2012. I fled the house. And what followed was a very acrimonious long, expensive court battle, which I had no desire to be a part of and was in it before I knew it. And uh, so what was the result? That was a custody battle, I'm gathering. And I fought um, for one thing, and that was to keep my kids in Canada. So I was willing to have any kind of parenting arrangement. I just wanted to make sure that neither of us were allowed to take the children out of Canada. So I wouldn't ask to take them to Disneyland, but I didn't want their father to be able to take them into the Middle East. He applied to take them uh, to Europe in um, last year for a summer holiday, and uh, I opposed the application. I highlighted all the risks that were present for abduction. Um He was successful, and the courts granted him permission to travel with four little kids to Europe. He broke court order. He took the children into northern Iraq and— A war zone. Into a war zone. And I haven't seen or or I haven't heard from them um, in the following 11 months, my four little kids. Wow. So— How are you trying to get them back? Since the beginning, I've been working with the agencies that I thought were were there to to support me in in recovering the children. So that's Foreign Affairs, which is now Global Affairs, and the RCMP Interpol. And I, I started the process, I think naively, now looking back, presuming that um, the the swift and safe return of my children was a priority of theirs. 
and it's been frustrating and bewildering 11 months on. I haven't seen any tangible action from our government in getting my children home. And there's a Canadian court order, which has been breached. There's an Interpol red notice for my ex-husband. So he's an international fugitive. And I haven't seen the kind of action from this government 11 months on that I think most Canadians would expect. Now, he took your kids to Iraq. As far as you know, are they still there? So they've been gone for 11 months. Half of that time was spent in the war zone of northeastern Iraq, where bombs were falling. In and around February, we've um, learned that he crossed illegally into Iran. Um, so the area that um, that he was raised in, and he still has family there. So it's also a violent area. There's clashes between the Iranian central government and the Kurdish nationalist movement. So my kids have ta- been taken from war zone into an area of violence with a man who's on the run, he's on the move, he's unstable and he's violent. Was he violent with you? He was emotionally and psychologically abusive and he was violent with the children. And there's documented evidence of that from the Ministry of Child and Family Development. So he's in Iran. Uh, There's another case ongoing now of a Canadian-Iranian woman being held in an Iranian prison. And one of the arguments is that since we don't have diplomatic relations with Iran, that means that this problem cannot be solved through diplomatic channels. Well, Justin Trudeau told Canadians before he was elected that he belonged to the school of thought of international relations, that you talk to a whole bunch of people, not just your friends, not just your allies. You don't need diplomatic relations to pick up the phone. And I think what we've seen between the U.S. and Iran, Europe and Iran, Iran is motivated. It's increasingly outward looking. This is actually the perfect opportunity for Canada to be finding a way to go forward and open up dialogue with the Iranians. Lives are at stake. Professor Hoodfar is in prison, and I understand she's not well. And I've got four little kids who they themselves, I think, are dying a slow death. I'm Libby Snymer, and this is the Zoomer Week in Review. Coming up, Allison will tell us more about her fight to bring her children home and why the Canadian government is, at the very least, hesitant to get involved. You're listening to the Zoomer Week in Review, brought to you by CARP, a new vision of aging. Support CARP with your membership today. Visit carp.ca. Welcome back to the Zoomer Week in Review. I'm Libby Snymer. When we left off, I was speaking with Alison Azar, a mother of four young children who were abducted by her ex-husband, Sarin Azar, and taken first to northern Iraq and then to Iran. Alison will stop at nothing to get her children back, including going to Ottawa to speak with the Prime Minister. You talked to Justin Trudeau about your children. What did he tell you, and what do you want from him now? I met with him on May 17th, so that's just about two months ago. 
And I said I wanted to speak to him as a citizen, and he's the prime minister. And I also wanted to speak to him as a parent, because I know he's got three young kids and really prides himself in being a father. As a prime minister, he told me, Allison, the file of the Azar kids is on my desk. It's a priority for me, and it will stay on my desk until your kids come home. And he said, as a father and as a parent, I can assure you that I will hug my kids a little tighter tonight, having spoken with you. So I felt I connected with him on more than one level. He made a promise to me and a promise to my kids, which remains unfulfilled, not just because my children aren't home, but because I haven't seen any tangible signs of his leadership. So he hasn't done anything on the file since you talked to him? He has not picked up the phone. He's taken taking the advice of some senior bureaucrats um, in global affairs who caution him that now might not be the right time to pick up the phone. And that may be their advice, but he is the leader of this country, and he has to show leadership, and it starts with four little kids. They can't rescue themselves. You've been advised to keep this very quiet, but you're coming to the media now. Why? I've been advised since the beginning um, to keep quiet, and I... I um, followed um, that recommendation until it increasingly became clear to me that I was being advised to keep it quiet um, because of government lack of action and what some might even call ineptitude. I have proven myself um, to this government, to Canadians, that I will stop at nothing to get my kids back. I traveled to the region. I spent three months in that very same area that my children were in. I crossed seven armed checkpoints to go and speak to the rebel leaders who were holding my kids. I need my government to meet me halfway on bringing my kids home to safety. How big a factor do you think is the fact that under Muslim law, it's the father who has the right to decide what happens to the children uh, that these regimes uh, probably don't recognize your Canadian court order. You know, it's it's surprising, Libby. In fact, um, Iran has shown a real willingness. Um, on June the 12th, they arrested my ex-husband on the basis of the red notice. They took him in for questioning. And after a period of time, they released him on bail. And he is to reappear um, before them and again, uh, be held to account for breaking the, the Canadian law. They are taking things seriously. Um, they keep on waiting for Canada to call, uh, or at least answer their phone calls, and tell them, you know, what do you think we should do with where this do, international fugitive? Where, where do you have that information from that they're waiting for Canada to call? We have it. Um, I've retained legal counsel in Iran. Um, so I'm getting that information directly from counsel. And also, Global Affairs is has admitted that RCMP wanted to speak with Interpol Iran, the preeminent policing agency of this country, exercising policing authority, wanted to speak to their counterpart in Iran, and Global Affairs, Minister Dion's ministry, told RCMP, you're not to make the call. Really? 
Absolutely. And the rationale for that, it's the wrong time? It's bewildering what the rationale is. And the fact of the matter is, this is unfolding in real time. My kids are in absolute danger. And at any given point, things could go very wrong. So on whose agenda, on whose schedule, is this not the right time? What would you like people to do in terms of uh, agitating to make this happen? I'm begging Canadians to um, support me and support my children. I have a website, Find Azer Kids Now, and that's A-Z-E-R, Find Azer Kids Now. We have a petition going into the Prime Minister. I would be grateful to Canadians to go onto the website, sign the petition. I, I want Canadians to feel for my children. Many of us are parents and can feel for for them as a parent, but we were all once children, and my children have missed an entire year of all the traditions and the celebrations that go along with childhood. They missed a full school year. They have not held an English book. They have not received instructions in math. They have not been in a classroom. And yes, we're in the summer holiday season right now, and I only wish I was enjoying this time with my children, but the next school year is just around the corner. And if I have to face another back-to-school season, knowing that my kids are in a war zone and my government has betrayed them and betrayed me and abandoned us, I don't know how I will find that in any way acceptable of this government and this prime minister. Alison Azar, we wish you all the best. Thank you for having me on your show, Libby. I appreciate it. Thank you. A spokesman for Global Affairs Canada told us the government remains deeply concerned for the well-being of the children and is working with what it calls appropriate government authorities. But, and I quote, Due to the Privacy Act and in order to protect our ongoing efforts on this consular case, we are unable to provide further information on this matter. Allison is skeptical about this, and she's asking us to help by signing her petition at findazarkidsnow.com. When we come back, we'll celebrate the birthday of one of the founding members of the police. You're listening to the Zoomer Week in Review, brought to you by CARP, a new vision of aging. Support CARP with your membership today. Visit carp.ca. Welcome back to the Zoomer Week in Review, all things Zoomer worldwide. It's time for your international arts date book tips for those of you who are jetting around the world. Here's Jane Brown. In England, 2,000 Years of History is presented in 90 minutes in what's billed as the UK's biggest open-air performance event since the opening ceremonies of the 2012 London Olympics. It's called Kinran, and it's played out nightly on a former golf course just outside the town of Bishop Auckland using 1,000 local volunteer performers. The goal of the show is to help financially reinvigorate the area which has declined with the coal mining industry. In Monaco, the Grimaldi Forum is presenting a Francis Bacon exhibition exploring the artist's work and its influence on French art and culture. 
The New York artist known as the Flower Guy, Michael DeFeo, has launched a major exhibition called Crosstown Traffic at Rice University in Houston, Texas. The installation occupies the entire window space at the facade of the gallery. It's on display through August. And in Jerusalem, a major exhibition of Pablo Picasso's work is at the Israel Museum, providing a rare opportunity to follow the master's evolution with 300 works from the museum's own extensive collection. I'm Jane Brown, and that's the International Arts Datebook. This weekend, we're celebrating the 64th birthday of Stuart Copeland, one of rock and roll's best drummers and a co-founder of the band The Police. In 1976, Copeland was on tour with the British progressive rock band Curved Air. While performing in Newcastle, he met a former schoolteacher who was also an ambitious bassist looking to start a band. That bassist was Gordon Sumner, now much better known as Sting. The two exchanged phone numbers and then later hooked up in London, where they started the now iconic band that helped define the New Wave movement. Stuart Copeland has always been a key member of the police. His drumming is the backbone of the trio's sound, and just this year, Rolling Stone magazine named him the 10th greatest rock and roll drummer of all time. Right now, we'll hear Copeland and the police with the group's biggest hit, Every Breath You Take. Every breath you take. That was the police with Every Breath You Take. Drummer Stuart Copeland is celebrating his 64th birthday this weekend. And that brings us to the end of this week's edition of the Zoomer Weekend Review. I'm Libby Snymer. Thanks for joining me today. Be sure to come back next week to stay up to date with all things Zoomer worldwide. You've been listening to the Zoomer Week in Review. Produced by MZ Media Limited. Executive producer Moses Nimer. Produced by Dave Woodard and Paul Thomas. This has been an exclusive podcast of the Zoomer Week in Review. Heard every Sunday at noon on... This podcast is proudly produced and presented by the Zoomer Podcast Network, home of great podcasts like Marilyn Lightstone Reads, Idea City on the Air, and The Garden Show.